This is WCSU 411, the award-winning podcast that tells you almost everything you want to know about Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today we're talking with a student journalist, library director Veronica Knossis, and our Science Beat reporter, Dr. Rada Krell. Co-host Chantel Williams bugged out on us again, so Pete and I are going to do the list of events on campus. Yeah, really. Strike two, Chantel. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, we're going to talk about what we're thankful for. Pete is our engineer. He's going to go first. Oh, I have to go first? Yeah. I am thankful for uh, my family. Mm. I'll go sappy. They are <laughs> wonderful. Uh, my beautiful wife and my two fantastic kids. Uh, and They're all sick at the moment, but other than that, they're really terrific. And they, you think you, they got you sick, too. That's what, yeah, that's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you become sick, they're the ones who got you sick. Exactly. What about you, Paul? What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my family. Uh, we just had our uh, first grandchild four weeks ago, and she's all healthy and growing and, you know, big cheeks, and that's great. That's all we think about. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that's enough, probably. Sure. <laughs> All right, so is there anything uh, going on around WCSU this week that people need to know about? We had that hideous report out by this uh, foundation that said that Westcon, no lower-income students should not go to Westcon. Really? Yeah. It said we charge too much. They got their numbers all wrong. We charge more than anybody else, which actually is not true, and uh, that they don't graduate at uh, – they aren't successful at graduating huh. at a rate that other colleges are. They took 19. Their latest numbers were 1917 or 16. Uh, what they failed to report. Oh, 20, 2017. Oh, 2017, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I was like, we were around then, but I'm sure they aren't using those numbers. <laughs> no. Even since then, uh, the uh, graduation rates for low-income students have continued to rise, and they have over the last couple of years. And that's really what you got to look at. They made it sound like we don't care about low-income students here at Westcon, which is not true. And I told a couple of reporters about all the things that we do to support uh, first-gen students who may not know how to go to college and low-income students whose parents may not be able to uh, talk to them about, you know, this is how you, what you do when you're in college. And uh, they really kind of ignored all that and just said, Westcon's not a good place for low-income students. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to push back on that. And the podcast is a good place for it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's not right. No. We do. We care about all our students, and we do a good job supporting all our students. Wow. Uh, did you see uh, Syracuse is having a lot of the same issues that we are? I just heard about this this morning. Mm-hmm. They seem to be on a much larger scale. But. Yeah, it's worse even. Yeah. And students, you know, like here, are saying, hey, it's, we're scared to go out on campus or even in the halls of our uh, classroom buildings, and that's just not good. And there the governor, Cuomo, is um, criticizing the chancellor of University of Syrac- or Syracuse University for not doing enough. I'm not really familiar enough to say what, whether, whether I think he did enough or not, but um, you really got to jump on those things and yeah. try to make uh, it clear that it's not tolerated. They're very hard to find, the people who are making the um, racist comments. And those the, up there, they were making really directly racist comments. 
uh, electronically and in um, graffiti, and they're hard to find. But you, so you may not be able to find them and prosecute them, but you got to come out and um, make this campus feel safe. Yeah, there was a big protest, I guess. They all went into a meeting and left en masse and were chanting, sign or resign, because <laughs> I think the chancellor wouldn't sign. It was kind of a bill of, not a bill of rights, but... Something like that. Yeah. So Really, the uh, that's not a good place to be in, and I think we would handle it differently here, and our president would be talking to students right away. You wouldn't have to order him. They wouldn't have to demand that he show up and... Uh, um, sign a uh, paper saying what he's going to do. He'd talk to them and say, yeah, we're in this together and we're going to fight this thing. As we saw here a couple of weeks ago. Well, our first guest is Audrey Nielsen. She's an editor for the Echo Student Newspaper. She's planning a career in journalism and she's still planning it no matter what I said to try to talk her out of it. I was a journalist for a long time, and now the industry is really corkscrewing into the ground. But the thing is, the world needs people who are enterprising, not afraid, not afraid to ask tough questions, and who are curious. So you'll see that Audrey has the right attitude for news reporting. Yeah, I mean, the mediums are always going to change. There may not be as many newspapers. TV is going to change. It's all about it. But you're always going to need human beings to go out and find yeah. those stories and relay them to us so we know what's going on. That's right. Hopefully they won't have to do it for no pay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right. There's always the hopefully we'll figure out the medium so that uh, we can have robust number of journalists out in all our communities all the time. Okay, Audrey, so you are a big deal at The Echo, right? And the whole student publications board. So I am a news editor at The Echo under our editor-in-chief, Ryan Yersha. And I am the president of the new student publications board, which kind of coordinates all of the student pubs on campus right now. Mm -hmm. You're an active reporter, though, too. So a lot of people think of you when they think of The Echo, they think of you because you're the face of The Echo for a lot of people. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I usually get a lot of questions about it, too. Like what? Um, people are always wondering. Obviously, we've been kind of struggling and hopefully now succeeding in bringing the Echo back on campus. A lot more students are thinking about it, where I think it's fair to say if you had had a lot of these conversations last year in the early fall, you would mostly only get reactions from uh, alumni and from professors who remembered what the Echo was, but a lot of the current students had either never engaged with the Echo or really had thought about it since they had started up. Mm -hmm. And now I think because we've been making an effort of being at events, of talking to people, even when we haven't put out um, as many articles as I think we want to moving forward, we have made our presence known as reporters, which I think is really important. Yeah, I think so too. It's funny how print is dying, but uh, as soon as the Echo stopped printing on paper, it, um, it kind of faded away. Yeah, I it think fade away. I think that some of the reaction to the idea of um, print dying was almost too reflexive mm -hmm. because part of it is that you still need things to be right in front of people. And if you want to do all of your promotion through social media, then you have to make sure that that social media is in front of them. But sometimes it's not as easy as it would be to just get a 
paper in front of every student or even just having flyers or other installations of reporting mm -hmm. around campus so that people physically see it throughout mm -hmm. their day. Because students aren't seeking out news, you kind of have to put it in front of them so they know that something important is happening that they need to keep an eye on. Right. And like you say, it's interesting. Maybe it's just a flyer once a week or every quarter or something that has a story in it or a couple of stories or something like that. Right. And we've talked a little bit about doing posters that have teasers for specific stories mm -hmm. with links at how people can find them. So if maybe you're walking throughout Higgins and you're a communication student and we know that we have a story going up about the programming that's gone on for the last month in the communications department or even more directly if communication students, media production students, journalism students are more interested in, say, uh, recent attacks on the press from uh, certain politicians, then we might be able to target flyers that say, here are these stories that are relevant to your interests, here's where you can find them online. That way we're not spending a lot of money on paper or um, even any because one of the benefits at WestCon is that printing on a small scale is accessible to pretty much every student in a race student organization. We could do that or we could do specifically sports related news in Berkshire, by the gym, in all these different areas, kind of targeted community level promotion of stories without having to print the entire paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So you seem pretty interested and passionate about the uh, kind of the news industry. How did that happen? It's, it's interesting because I originally came to WestCon in 2014 when I was 17 years old. Um, and I struggled really badly with all of my classes, failed out, honestly, got offered the amazing, I think, Fresh Start program. Mm -hmm. um, but because of how I was struggling at the time with money and with my uh, the disappointment in myself for not getting that first freshman semester off right. Were you a high school up, graduate? Yes. Mm -hmm. I had just graduated. It was my freshman semester. I ended up dropping out. And then I went to work freelance. I did a lot of uh, copywriting and ghostwriting and kind of like nonsensical um, content creation mm -hmm. uh, jobs. And I worked for a couple years in different freelance ways. And I realized that I wasn't happy in the work that I was doing. And the things that I was most interested and passionate about were these like long-form investigative pro uh, projects that I was reading about and listening to on places like uh, Reveal News, um, ProPublica. Uh, I had read Ronan Farrow's reporting and his books as they were coming out, and I realized I don't just want to occasionally write articles that cover the news when I'm doing freelance writing. I want to go back to school and I want to pursue this as my career because this is what I care about and this is what I could do for the rest of my life. So I came back to WestCon because it was my, uh, it was the original school that I had gone to. I had the opportunity to come back with a fresh start. Um, I, re I came back, I got a 4.0 at Middlesex Community College before I came back in the summer and wanted to restart totally fresh. And the program here was so, it's intimate, but it's, exciting and really focused on journalism. Professor Roach, who teaches the majority of the journalism classes mm -hmm. in the professional writing department, was such an immediate mentor to me, as were a bunch of the other writing professors, especially Dr. Hagen, mm -hmm. um, that I knew not just did I want to keep doing reporting work, 
I wanted to do it at WestCon for the entirety of my undergraduate degree, and I wanted to build something here for myself, too, in student reporting before I got on to whatever my next step is. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've been interested in writing for a long time, maybe your whole life, and uh, but reporting's a lot different, too. You have to be very aggressive about it. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I used to think that writing was the main approach for me, but I almost spend more of my time doing the reporting work now because I like long-term... I like to answer questions for myself. I like to make a list of questions of things that I don't understand, and I like to figure out the answers to them. So when I get the chance to do a short-term or a long-term reporting project where I'm getting documents, when I'm going to a courthouse, when I'm interviewing people, it makes me feel like I'm doing something of substance and value because I'm revealing information that the average person doesn't know about a topic. That's right. Cool. So let's talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but let's talk about the um, th three publications that you supervise as president of the publication sport. There's the Echo and a couple of magazines, right? Yes. So we have the Echo, which is the student newspaper. It has a long history on campus under a couple of different names, but hmm. we've had the Echo, obviously, for decades, which is exciting. Um, we have the... Torch Student Magazine, which is an online magazine, which is new as of last year. I started up my first semester when I returned, and I thought it was going to be more journalistically focused, but by virtue of all the students who ended up joining, we've done a lot of experimental media stuff. Um, we started this semester doing video work that should go out uh, later in the semester. There's a lot of poetry and... Uh, creative work combined with nonfiction and lifestyle writing. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Black and White Literary Journal. And the Black and White Literary Journal has been running for, I think, at least seven years now and is a collection of yearly creative pieces, poetry, short stories, flash fiction, collected by students from student submissions and published in hard copy at the end of every year. Hmm. And... Is it published in print? Yeah, so the black and white is published in print every year. There was a there was a problem with it last year. Um, the student board at the time struggled getting it actually, like getting all of the paperwork that they needed done, getting yeah. it approved. But thanks to the Student Government Association's help this year, black and white managed to pay off the debt that they owed to their printer. So they have all of the copies from last year. And they just have a couple, they have about, I think, like $1,000 left to pay to their printer mm -hmm. in order to get their budget for next year's copy. So it's one of the only publications uh, from the students on campus that it seems like it's been in print every year since its founding. And mm -hmm. hopefully we can keep that record going. Mm -hmm. And where do you find the, where would I find the torch? How the do I torch find it? is online at westerntorch.com. Um, you can also find it on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, each of the online, uh, each of the publications at the end of this semester will have their own website. Right now, Echo has its website, mm -hmm. um, which is wcsuecho.org. Hmm. We might want to check that one after. Um, the Torch magazine, which is at westerntorch.com. 
And then Black and White Literary Journal is launching their own website, too, to collect um, the archives of their publishing and their future work um, moving forward, and that's under construction right now. That's cool. And so what's the difference between Black and White and The Torch? Black and White is a yearly publication that mm-hmm. collects work uh, throughout the year and then does one massive publication, mm-hmm. though they may experiment with their publishing schedule moving forward. Torch is a little bit more exper- experimental. We also do a lot more long-form hmm. stuff. And journalism about non-Western Connecticut State University-related topics is welcome at the Torch, where the Echo is a little more laser-focused right, right now. And do you write for all of them? Yes. Are you the editor of uh, an editor of all of them, too? Um, I am not an editor at Black and White, though I do help out. And I might, I might the editing process for Black and White is very democratic. It has a workshop style, basically, where everybody who wants to participate in Black and White can go to the meetings and mm. can give feedback on submissions when they come in. But at The Torch, I am the lead editor right now, but I focus on nonfiction writing. We have um, an editor for lifestyle, Amanda Badillo, and mm. a editor for fiction, um, Michaela Silkman. And uh, I am the news editor specifically at The Echo. So I do a lot with the publications on campus. Yeah, no kidding. And today, I guess it was the publications board that was uh, doing something on uh, in the quad, right, or in front of the student center? Yeah, so today all of the publications came together um, with the help of SGA's funding to throw what we called Food for Thought, which is a program supporting and promoting our First Amendment rights through essentially asking students if they would be willing to sign away their First Amendment rights in exchange for free food and milkshakes. And uh, this program was based on an old program that uh, SPJ chapters used mm-hmm. to do, the Society for Professional Journalists, um, the, free, uh, the free speech festivals. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like symbolically signing away your rights is we're essentially challenging the students to think about what life would be like in America or on campus or in Danbury if they didn't have protections for those rights. Mm-hmm. And you gave out uh, little tickets on that talked about all the rights that are included in the First Amendment. Right. So we we teased a couple students by quizzing them on what everything, uh, what all was included in the First Amendment. So the five aspects of it, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, your right to assemble and your right to petition. And each ticket that people got after they signed highlighted one of those uh, protected rights and freedoms, and then on the back had an explanation of one application of those rights. Um, So we highlighted a reporter in Bridgeport who had been arrested earlier Mm -hmm. in the year on the freedom of the press uh, pages, and then we uh, highlighted some Supreme Court decisions and other information on the ticket so that people could look at them as they were waiting in line for food. And there were a lot of people who signed up to give away their rights, too, for a hamburger. Yeah, it's actually very funny because we had some students who were aghast. We had, uh, like, they came up and they were shocked that we would ask them to do this. We had one who came up, saw what we were asking him to do, and said no, and ran away. And another (laughs) who said, are you asking me to join a cult as he was signing it? (laughs) And uh, then we also had a lot of students who just kind of nodded their heads and immediately Hmm. signed it. But every student, as they were uh, going through the process, we gave them the information. So hopefully even students who were very uh, laissez-faire about signing away their rights learned a little bit about why it's important to protect them in the process. Mm -hmm. 
No, that's good. So let's talk a little bit about your uh, reporting that you've been doing um, outside of the uh, university, right? You're taking some of these skills that you have learned and have applied them right here in Danbury. Yes. So last year I started focusing really heavily on this um, story that had been going on for a couple of years. It was a um, a sex trafficking scandal Mm -hmm. in Danbury. It crossed all of Connecticut, but it it was based in Danbury and one of our uh, trailer parks nearby campus, actually. I think within something like uh, a couple miles of campus and targeting. It didn't targeting. involve students or our students no. or anything like that. No, it didn't involve any students. It targeted young men with mental illness and with a history of drug and alcohol abuse. Um, and I started following this story because I was deeply interested in the parts of the story I wasn't seeing covered in the Hartford Current, and I was shocked that something like this, which I would have assumed would have been like on at least one of the pages of the New York Times or these national outlets, and Mm -hmm. it just hadn't happened, um, wasn't being covered, and I was right here. And we're really lucky at WestCon, especially for journalism students and JLA students, to be on the Midtown campus directly across the street from the Superior Court. So I got to go every week in between my classes to pick up court files at the clerk's office and follow along with this court case as it was dragging out. Um, And the access to the files and learning what to do with them, I was basically able to go participate in this investigation and then ask my advisor, like, if you were doing this reporting, how would you approach X, Y, or Z? So even when I'm not doing campus reporting, because the department is so supportive of uh, developing investigative skills, I was able to ask for advice from my professors throughout it, which Mm -hmm. is cool. So you went to court every week, got the files, which are accessible to the public, went to the clerk, I guess, and uh, asked for the file, and she or he handed it to you, and you read through them and found out what was going on in court and also subpoenas and things like that that wouldn't necessarily be, I suppose, announced in court. Yeah, exactly. And what's always exciting is the clerk's usually kind of annoyed at you for mm-hmm. requesting the same gigantic file every time because they have to sort through it and remove different things and um, make uh, redact certain things when they hand them back to you. And occasionally I would request something, they'd roll their eyes, it would take a couple minutes for them to get it for me, and then there would be something that somebody forgot. Mm-hmm. And I would find a new page, even though they thought it was exactly the same as last time, with a new name or a new... Um, filing that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at one point in the in the investigation, I got the name of uh, someone in prison in a different area in the state who was related to the case that had been... Essentially, someone had accused the, the defendant of coordinating with someone in prison to... Uh, help subdue another witness. And Mm. I would have never found out about that if I hadn't been checking the court records every single day because what what is in the file and isn't the file isn't as consistent as you would hope it would be. Mm -hmm. That's good. And so you have found out stuff and you're in the process of reporting things that haven't been published anywhere else. Yes, I think that especially as local 
local newsrooms are disappearing or losing funding in different cities that aren't um, national coverage or that aren't um, statewide coverage, you kind of have to hope that there are student journalists who are doing this work, because I think otherwise some of that information slips through the cracks. So in this case specifically, at, at least as far as I know, no reporter in the state had reported on um, the actions of a state contractor in this case who had supplied uh, private medical information directly to the lawyers for the defendant uh, for an illegal subpoena. Um, and that's the type of thing that I think would be really important to a reporter who had access to the documents. But when nobody nobody is necessarily looking at every case, every document, those things slip through the cracks. And it's important for people to know about them. It's a really important piece of information in this particular trial that hasn't been reported that you found out about. And the uh, defense attorneys apparently uh, just sent an email asking for the information and it was supplied, which is not the way it's supposed to work when you're dealing with health uh, records. Not at all. And th the secondary step of it is that the, the contractor, even if they were complying with the subpoena, should have brought the relevant files to the judge so that the judge could have made them available to both parties if it was properly subpoenaed. But she also instead just replied through an email with a portal access for them to download it. And then they had to argue to the judge later that they had allowed it to be printed and put in a binder and left in their office. But since the aide who did it didn't look at it, and they swear that they didn't look at it in the entire month that they had it printed out, nothing technically was read that wasn't accessible to that, them. That is a very good story. <laughs> <laughs> and someday you're going to write that story and get it published, right? Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I, I'm really hoping to start regularly writing this type of investigative work. I do data work. I do, um, uh, I try to find stories in court files. Last year, I did a, um, not an internship, but like a assistance for the Center for Investigative Reporting, uh, Reveal News in New York. Mm. They were pulling uh, court files from all over Connecticut, and they needed college students to help with that. Mm. And... Uh, I ended up helping the reporter that I was working with pull files from, I think, over like seven towns in Connecticut because she couldn't find students in each of the locations. Mm -hmm. So I spent a day with another writing student, Jonathan Holden, driving all around the state of Connecticut, pulling court files and supplying them back to a uh, investigative outlet, which was exciting. Yeah. I mean, some people are too nervous to walk into a courthouse to do that and then talk to the grumpy clerks and get all the information. Yeah, I I really wish that it was a thing that more students did because you can go in there. You don't have to pay for copies. You can pull out the files and then use a scanning app on your phone mm. to scan the files. Then you have your own local copy. It's exciting. And the people that you meet there are very interesting, too. Mm -hmm. And you don't seem to have a problem interviewing people and asking hard questions. No, um, I think there's some there's an idea of something called uh, rejection therapy. Um, I learned about it through training at the school for one of the jobs that I do on campus. And I think it's important to grow the skill to be rejected and rebuffed, mm -hmm. especially if I want to do hardcore um, investigative work after graduation. 
So if I can get comfortable interviewing thing, interviewing people about things that they don't necessarily want to talk to me about now, hopefully that'll prep me for a career in it. Mm-hmm. It will. <laughs> That's a great idea and a good skill to have anywhere, right? So you see the uh, three publications. You're going to be here at, on campus for another year or two? Um, I will graduate next year in the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, I think. Um, <laughs> I could graduate next uh, next. I could graduate next fall. I think I'm going to stay till the spring so I can get ready for graduate school. Yeah. But there are a ton of people that we're currently training up so that we'll have uh, freshmen and sophomores who will carry the publications forward, too. Uh, if I could, I'll mention when everybody meets, too, so yeah, in case please. you want to stop in. Um, right now, the Student Magazine and the Literary Journal, Black and White and Torch, meet on Wednesdays. Uh, Black and White meets at... 1.30, and Torch Magazine meets at 4 p.m. every Wednesday in the Student Center newsroom, the Echo newsroom in Student Center 217. The Echo primarily works online, but can be met um, by request if you shoot at any of the reporters or the president an email. And the office is always open um, for a little bit every day. Mainly our hours are from 10 to 11, Monday, Tuesday, 2 to 8 on Wednesday, if you want to stop by, um, 9 to 2 Thursday, 12 to 3 Friday, and 11 through 4 on Saturday. Hmm. So if you want to get involved in the paper or any of the other student publications, or if you want to share a story or something that you want reported, you can come meet with us and uh, we can help you out or get you involved in any of the publications. Yeah, so you really come a long way in the last year, right? They're st just staffing the office all the time is a great uh, step. Yeah, we're working really hard on it. And um, it's a smaller office, but we have a very comfortable couch, and occasionally we have free pizza. <laughs> Why wouldn't anybody visit? <laughs> all right, Audrey, thanks very much for coming in and telling us about all this exciting work you're doing. And um, good luck in your uh, criminal investigations in the future. Thank you. Dr. Krell still has a cold, as you will hear on the Science Beat segment, but we let her come in and uh, do her thing anyway. So a couple of weeks ago, I was walking down the hallway in the in the science building, and Dr. Tom Philbrick said, hey, you want to see something cool? And obviously, I said, of course, I want to see something cool. And so I stepped into his lab, and he said, take a look at this. And he held up a plant and said, this is a new species. And that's the sort of thing that can happen in the science building. Um, just in that moment, he was looking at some plants that he had collected over the summer in Brazil and uh, had realized that one of them was uh, a, a, new, a species that is new to science. Um, and then, you know, he kind of turned to the side counter and said, and you see all those over there? And there were some containers containing other plants. And he said, yeah, there's probably about five more new species over there. So it's, it's a lot of fun to get to work in an environment where you never know. You could be walking down the hallway one day and get to be present at the moment of discovery of a new species. This episode of WCSU 411 is brought to you by the WCSU Department of Music. Uh, they have all kinds of upcoming events. 
Uh, just to list a few here in the Veronica Hagman Concert Hall, which is at the Westside Campus in the Visual Performing Arts Center. Friday, November 22nd at 7 p.m. is Jazz Combos with guest Jeffrey Kieser, piano. Saturday, November 23rd, 3 p.m., Orchestra and the Concert Chorale. Uh, Sunday, November 24th at 3 p.m., the Wind Ensemble and Symphonic Band. And Tuesday, November 26th at 8 p.m., the Chamber Singers and University Choir. Uh, also coming up December 6th, 7 p.m., the Chamber Strings. December 7th at 3 p.m., the Holiday Pops. December 8th at 3 p.m., Holiday Jazz. Uh, one other thing to be aware of is the annual performance of Amal and the Night Visitors, and that's taking place in Ives Concert Hall, which is at the Midtown Campus, uh, Friday, December 6th at 7 p.m. So plenty of events from all over the School of Visual Performing Arts, but that was just uh, the upcoming concerts from the Department of Music. For more information, go to wcsu.edu svpa. You might not recognize it by looking at a librarian, but they are full of energy and some, uh, what would you call it, Pete? There's a lot of angst in there <laughs> when you think about books and how to distribute them. So our librarian, our director of library services, Veronica Knossis, is very enthusiastic about everything libraries, is coming in, and she does our segment called In the Stacks. She is going to discuss the difference between ebooks and paper books for Pete and me there's not much difference but for a librarian there's two different worlds there so today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the ebook versus print book controversy there's been a lot of um, concern and and a lot of information swirling about um, what kinds of what kinds of um, resources libraries specifically should be collecting and, and what's most useful. And also in academia and secondary education about what kinds of textbooks students should be using. There's been some research that come out that has come out that say that students prefer um, print textbooks. Um, then other research that says, but they prefer electronic information. So um, it's really, it comes down to a couple of really big issues. One is, um, when how the information when the information is available and then also the management of the information so for us here um, to bring it back to Westcon um, you may notice students may notice that our our collections are becoming increasingly more electronic um, and that's because we have a do have significant demand for um, for information to be available to students when the library is not physically open. So if you can't come to the library or if the li it's the middle of the night, you still need to get that information. And that's one big driving factor. The other is, um, for those you those of you who don't know, we do track. And <laughs> when you check out a book from the library, a physical book from the library, we do track that. Obviously, um, it gets checked out under your your library card as your student ID. So you come in, you find a book on the shelf, you check it out, and we know who has that book. That's a way for us to keep make sure that we contact you if you don't bring it back. We always want our materials back, but. Um, and the number of physical items that have been removed from the library, checked out from the library, has gone down significantly. So we know that students um, are not as interested. So even though there is research that says they prefer print books or you prefer, this is a this is students are voting with their feet. I guess is what they say, um, which means that the ebook usage is going up. 
um, and the print book usage is going down. So it only makes sense for us to invest our limited resources in the, the materials that students are using. Those are electronic journal articles and electronic books. From a management perspective, just so everybody understands this too, um, it's, it's easier to manage a digital collection. It's still hard super hard to manage a digital collection. Um, but in terms of books, uh, we don't have to incur the costs and the time lag of having to search for a book, find a book, maybe we buy it from Amazon, maybe we buy it from an another bookstore, bring it into the library, label it, um, put some um, controls on it so it doesn't get stolen, and then put it on the shelf. And then when somebody takes it out, then they bring it back, we put it back on the shelf, and we have to dust them, we have to clean them. So there's a whole set of, um, of um, tasks that have to happen in, um, to get a print book on the shelf and available for somebody to use. And with an ebook, it's a little bit easier because you select it. You go, still go to Amazon or whoever to buy your ebook, but with the press of a button, you have it available to everybody in your. Um, it, I'm simplifying it obviously more than more than it really should be, but um, but with the press of a button, you make it available to everybody in the Westcon community, and that way, um, if you're at home and it's midnight or 2 a.m. or if you're at home and it's 3 p.m. in the in the three in the afternoon, you just don't want to come to the library. You still have that material and that content available for you to use. And the reality also is the way people use books um, hasn't really changed. So. Back in the day when we had to write a research paper, you would see people trudging over to the library and taking out a stack of books that's as tall as they are and dragging them all back to their residence halls or their homes or whatever and stacking them all up. And this is the, this is the um, vision that I have when, of people writing papers. But we never should have been thinking that students were reading those books cover to cover. People were, will go in, they'll find the chapter that they need, they'll pull out the information that they need, and they'll bring that all together in their hopefully coherent <laughs> research paper. And so ebooks are no different. The advantage is that you don't have to drag them all home with you. You can go and look at just a chapter, or you can download just a chapter of an ebook. You could print out just a chapter of an ebook, and you have the content um, that you need without having to pretend that you're reading the whole book cover to cover. So um, in our particular situation, ebooks are going to win almost every time because they're easier to manage. Students can access them 24-7, 365 days a year, and um, they you can kind of zero in. They're searchable at the chapter level, so you know exactly what you're getting um, before you even get it, get it home with you. You know you can get that quote out of it that you need. Um, so they're Probably is some truth to the studies that say that as a as a as an activity as a leisure activity, reading a print book is is much more satisfying. So we can hold the book in your hands. You can put your bookmark in there. Um, but as a if you're talking about academic content, e-materials e are going to win every single time. So for those of you who are questioning why we have more e-books than we have print books, there's your answer. And now, recorded live in the basement of Whitehall, Pete and I are bringing you the events because Chantel didn't show up today. And she gave us notice. She has her internship, which she is, uh, thinks is very important, and I'm sure it is. <laughs> we had to change the regular day of uh, recording, so she couldn't make it today. So Pete and I are carrying the load for Chantel today. We're trying. Yeah. 
So let's see. We got a lot of good stuff coming up. We got a football game on Saturday, right? On November twenty second. Yes, the twenty third. It's the twenty third. I don't know where it is though. It's not here. It's at isn't it Worcester Polytech? Uh, Worcester State. I don't know. Yeah, they're in Worcester. No, it's, they face Worcester Polytechnic Institute, which you would think didn't wouldn't have a football team. Huh. And it's in Worcester, Massachusetts, or Worcester, as Chantel says. <laughs> yes. As yeah. all our uh, student uh, uh, co-hosts say. Yeah, we'll have to see next year if we can get somebody who... Uh... Yeah. Doesn't know <laughs> Who English can pronounce and... Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chantel. Yeah. There's a bus going to the football game. It's sponsored by WestCon Athletics. That's a fan bus. So it will leave the Westside Athletic Complex at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 23rd. And it should return to campus at about 7 p.m. Hopefully in a good mood. Yeah. So you want to, if you want to reserve a spot, send it to our assistant or associate athletic director at CrowleyC at wcsu.edu. What's her first name? I can't remember. Caitlin. Caitlin Crowley. Just like it sounds. CrowleyC at wcsu.edu or call her at 203-837-9057. They cost $10. But the uh, deposit's refunded upon boarding the bus. Oh, great. Yeah, so basically it's free. I guess it's for... Uh, well, but then you have to use that ten dollars to get in. It's to get into the ten dollars for adults, five dollars for students when you get to the game. Yeah, so so anybody can ride the bus. It's not just for students. Bring too. a couple bucks. And there's a swimming and diving competition. No bus going to that though. <laughs> it, it's at the O'Neill Center, so you don't yep. need a bus to go yeah. to it. Good. They must be in some kind of playoffs too, or something. Yeah, and keep an eye on uh, westconathletics.com for any of the the sporting events and stuff. There's a really good schedule there. Yeah, and if the football team wins, they may play another game, right? No, oh, I didn't know that. I don't know either. I'm making it up. <laughs> I think this might be it. I think oh. this is the last one. Okay. So go Colonials. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have coming up? Let's see. Oh, Swimming and Diving is doing another uh, thing on Sunday, too, also at the O'Neill Center. There's a planetarium show and telescope viewing on the 23rd, which is Saturday at 5 p.m. I think those are really good, especially if you have, you know, younger kids or brothers and sisters. I've lived in Danbury since 1993, and I've known about this planetarium for most of that time, and I have still never made it. I never have either. I've worked here for how many years? I mean, I've been coming to this school for... 22 years now, almost mm. every day. and uh, Well, it is on the west side. It's very inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. So one of these days, I'll just have to bite the bullet and go. Yes, you should. But yeah, I hear really good things. Okay, I have a question about Thanksgiving recess. Sure. On the website, it says, In observance of Thanksgiving, there will be no classes from Wednesday, November 27th through Sunday, December 1st. So no classes on Wednesday? That's my understanding. We're open. Yeah, the office. Like, I know I have to come to work. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me double check, but I'm pretty sure there are no classes. Okay, so students get, like, a five-day weekend. That's great. Hopefully they're helping cook the turkey, right? (laughs) Uh, November. Yeah, no classes. University open on the 27th. 
No classes, university closed the 28th to the 1st. If there's no students, do we, you and I really have to show up? Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, we, we love our work, so yeah, that's sure. not a yeah. problem. Uh, oh, the is it the final of the lake? Yes. The lake symposia yes. that, that Dr. Krell told us about? I think the final one is the, uh, November 25th. Yes. So that's at the Science Building, 7 p.m. in room 125. We so. got to... Uh, pitch that because our professor Dora Panu will uh, sear both of us over a spit if we don't. <laughs> and Dr. Krell will sick all of her bugs on us. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> even worse, isn't it? Eaten alive. All right. That'll get us through Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we'll talk about the rest of it next week, I guess. Or two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Should we mention the entrepreneurship panel discussion oh, on December course. 2nd? Yeah, sure. Because uh, Dr. Paulina Senza is another one who will uh, tear me up if I don't. You're really pitch afraid this. of. Uh, I am. I've several seen, professors yes. here. You aren't, Dora <laughs> Panu. So it's the entrepreneurial arc side hustles, and it's at 6:30 p.m. on the on December 2nd in room 218 of the classroom building. That's on the West Side campus. But one of our own, Renato Gio, is going to uh, be one of the speakers there. He runs our media with his wife. Uh, he's a, I think he's a Westcon grad, right? Or did he just work here? I don't know. I know he worked here. I don't, I don't know if he, if he, he went had here your job, I think. Uh, yeah. Something like yep. it. So his side gig is being a guitarist in a band called the Mighty Plowboys. Yep. Uh, there's a couple of other people. Vicki Roy is a clinical researcher at Unilever, and she also teaches pottery. And Kevin Dannenberg is founder of Axis Smith or Axsmith Data <laughs> Solutions. And he's a founder and designer of saxophone mouthpieces, too. Interesting. Yeah. You interviewed uh, Renato's wife, Alicia, on your show, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. Yeah. And he was sick, so he couldn't come. That's what he said. That's what yeah. he said. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to confront him, him on the second. Yes. <laughs> I, that's a good point. I've asked him if he's read the or listened to the podcast several times he said he always says no i uh, no i never read <laughs> and then uh on december 3rd we have this another pack bingo for for wcsu students so oh, yeah. we'll have to see if chantel can finally win on that one then we could stop hearing about it right <laughs> <laughs> all right that all right, sounds like a pretty good package yep very entertaining of us oh sure. <laughs> we entertain each other that's yes, for sure right. <laughs> The highlight of the week. All right. All right. So thank you, Pete. Thank you to Scott Volpe, our producer. Let's see if I can get this list right. We, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, a um, bunch of other places. Spotify. Oh, Spotify. Apple Podcasts. Yes. Isn't there another one, too? Uh, TuneIn is in there. It's everywhere. everywhere. Everywhere you get podcasts, we are. If you want to hear all of them, go to one of those places and download them. And then uh, give us a favorable rating. Five stars. Five stars, please. And uh, keep listening every week because we will be back, except for next week, which is Thanksgiving. So we're taking a week off because we don't think anybody will listen to us. And we know Chantel's not going to show up. (laughs) So um, have a great holiday, everyone. We'll be back the week after Thanksgiving. Is there anything else we need to say? Fourth? Hmm? I think the next episode will be on the fourth, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it'll be December, end of the year. Holy crow. Yep. December. 
and then we'll blow through winter and it'll be spring again. There you go. This is Paul Steinmetz. Have a great holiday for WCSU 411.